Welcome into Isms That Cause Schisms. I'm your host, Celeste, and I'm here with Pastor Jeff Geip and Professor Brian Nixon, who are walking us through several of the great isms that are causing schisms, or as you might say, divisions in our society and our churches. In our last episode, we unpacked hedonism and materialism. It was a great discussion. Make sure you rewind and check it out if you've got a minute. But this time around, we are going to be wrestling with two pretty controversial topics, existentialism and capitalism. And as a reminder, in our approach to these subjects, you can count on us to do three things. First, we'll direct you to scripture. Second, define our terms. And third, discuss the topics at hand. Book of Ecclesiastes as kind of our home base in the Bible for this series. I'm going to direct us to our scripture for this first topic, which is existentialism. In Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 4, the author says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry, and a time to laugh. All right, gentlemen, I'm turning the wheel over to you. Jeff, whisperer of Ecclesiastes, please tell us what these, t- what's going on here. Well, if you're a boomer like me, you might be hearing the birds, the band, the birds singing this in the background. Do everything. <laughs> One of those classic songs. Not only is it a classic song, it is just a beautiful poem. Because what we see here is it appears that Solomon is not taking an under-the-sun approach at looking at life. But and I wouldn't say above the sun. He just He's looking from above, and he's looking at life, and he's coming to these conclusions of how life is. And so it's interesting because what we see in the first eight verses are 14 opposites, each of which have happens in time. And the fact that he uses the polar opposites Um, in a multiple of seven, beginning with life and ending with death, is really important. The number seven and the use of polar opposites is a well-known poetical device called mirrorism. Am I right, Brian? Thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Which suggests totality. And so Solomon is simply saying that it doesn't matter if you're a person or a plant. There is a purpose for your birth, your death, and everything in between. This is life, and there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. Wow. And just for anyone who hasn't heard your definition of the under sun, under the sun approach versus over the sun, can you make that distinction real quick as well? Yeah, the easiest one is an under the sun approach is looking at life without God. Mm, okay, great. Okay, put so succinctly. Thank you. <laughs> we <laughs> appreciate it. Beautiful. Okay, Brian, you're up. Tell us about existentialism. Yeah, and, and let me just say, Celeste, before I give you kind of the working definition of existentialism, the two topics we're discussing today really do represent our modern mindset, mm-hmm. where a lot of particularly Americans are. Now, you know, the past episodes of scientism and intellectualism, you know, there's pockets of people who, who live in those, those spheres. Mm-hmm. And then our, our, the episodes after that were hedonism and, and materialism. Again, pockets of people who do that. But I would dare say, particularly here at America, Most people are dealing with an existentialist type viewpoint of the world, Hmm. and we live in a capitalist society. So these are two very um, appropriate 
points to be discussing. Yeah. But the first is existentialism, and that is a philosophical system which emphasizes the individual's basic freedom and my responsibility as a, a human being to develop myself through acts of the will. To put it in a short way, I'm my own boss, and I'm going to do what I think is right for me. And we hear that over and over and over. And that seeps into a lot of things, be it our view of truth. You know, you're, oh, that's your truth. Oh. My, my truth is my truth. <laughs> um, it, so it yeah. seeps into things, or, or I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm the boss of me. You, you know, that type of thing. And, it, you know, and here's the thing with existentialism. There are some positive aspects of existentialism. Um, you know, the, the architect, if you will, of existential thought, the, the grandpappy, was a, a Danish philosopher by the name of Soren Kierkegaard. Mm. He was a devout believer, and he was wanting to reform and transform the church of his day, which he felt was getting too laxed. But a lot of people really liked his thought and then built upon it but the problem is, going back to what Jeff said about the viewpoint, is they separated God. They lived an under-the-sun approach, whereas Kierkegaard was you know, saying, no, we, we need to live a theistic to understand these concepts from a God point of view, not just from a humanistic point of view. So existentialism became, you know, I'm just going to do what I want to do, follow my will, follow my passions, I'm my own boss, and so it really is a philosophy on how to approach life. And if, if in, in seminary, I was taught that, you know, it's, it's really about living over knowing. You know, okay, we're going to disagree with what we think we know, but I'm just going to live my life. It's, it's, it's feeling over, you know, truth. It's, I don't need to think about it. I just need to, to live it right. in a way it's, it's love over the law. You know, these type of things. And during the 1800s, when, when a lot of this philosophy was being developed, there were a lot of people who were getting back to nature. And there was philosophers and painters in, in, in the art world and in the music world. Romanticism ah. was, was the, the, the reigning thing of, I'm just going to follow my heart, not my head. And that really influenced the, you know, the, the, the future generations. And we still deal with that a lot. So I mentioned Soren Kierkegaard, Frederick Nietzsche, mm -hmm. who we know from the God is dead right. um, philosophy. But he really was influenced by um, this mindset as well. Jean-Paul Sartre, who was an author. He was a, a huge existentialist thinker. And then Albert Camus who was another author, and they wrote books that really proposed and promoted existential thought. So it went from, if you will, the university down to the common people through the media of the day, which was literature and music, and then it seeped into our consciousness. And that's a little bit about existentialism. <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited about that this was one of our topics today because I hear all these you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek jokes. I'm having an existential crisis right. today. Just today, tomorrow, I might figure it out. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and what's interesting is is it kind of goes back to Nietzsche. Hmm. You know, Nietzsche 
took some motifs from Greek religion. And not that he was a religious guy necessarily, though, you know, early in his life he was grappling with, with you know, things of faith. But he basically said, we have a calm nature, an ordered nature. And he, he connected it to, you know, uh, uh, like a Dionysian and an Apollinian or a Apollo. Hmm. So we all have a calm, orderly nature, but then we also have the Dionysian nature where we just got to let go and follow our will. And ultimately, it's the Dionysian that's going to reign. And then it turns into what we talked about in one of our previous podcasts, into hedonism. You just let that baby go and do what you want and do what you feel goods, because mm -hmm. that is ultimately what it is. And he would say, well, why? Because God's dead. And what he means by that is God didn't literally die, but the concept or the constructs or the laws of God have lost its power in our society. Therefore, you, in a sense, become your own God. Right. Yeah. You you, you right. are the master of your ship. Ugh. You you do what you want to do. You do what feels right to you because ultimately all those old, you know, areas, they don't apply. I mean, come on. And we hear this say, what, what does the 2,000-year-old book have to do with us today? Oh, goodness. You, you, you know, people say that a yeah. lot. You know, what what is... I mean, I, I, Jesus is cool. He's kind of like the first hippie. You know, I like Jesus. <laughs> but really, what, what you know, how does he apply to today? And so that, in a nutshell, is kind of that existential thought. So when yeah. someone says, I'm in an existential crisis, <laughs> it usually has the connotations that I'm in some kind of emotional turmoil yeah. where I'm trying to make a decision, my will. I, I, I'm, I don't know what to do. I don't know to go here or there. So I'm I'm wrapped up in an unknowingness of wow. of, of what it is. So, okay. I, I mean, again, so much more could be said, but this <laughs> yeah. is just introducing the ideas of yeah. these isms. And as you're talking about it too, it it kind of makes me a little uncomfortable because I think about how some of these ideas have seeped into even Christianity. Mm -hmm. You know, which is what I I think we should ask Jeff about. You know, where you see some of these themes kind of creeping up, even you know, in other churches or, or, or how we're thinking about God or decisions that we're making without, we're kind of not including him at all and still kind of leaving it up to ourselves. But what do you, what do you see with, with that? Yeah, I think that's part of our human nature. Mm -hmm. You know, Adam and Eve <laughs> is a great example of, you know, we can do this without God, you know, and, and the choices that they made um, are interesting choices. Brian and I were talking about this yesterday or the day before yesterday, kind of laughing about how Adam and Eve, they made a choice to listen to Satan and not to God. And the consequence of that is they found themselves in the garden alone. Um, for the first time, they experienced shame. In hmm. our culture, people f experience shame, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's because they're not listening to God. They're listening to other things. And the consequence of their, their shame was that they're alone in the garden. They covered themselves with fig leaves. Well, that's really creative. When you, <laughs> yeah, when you think about it, oh, I'm, I'm naked. I didn't know I was naked. Yeah. I get a fig leaf and I cover myself. Yeah. Well, have you ever felt a fig leaf? <laughs> no. It's not comfortable. <laughs> yes, We're yeah. in the desert here, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's just say it's sticky oh. and it's scratchy. Mm. And so though it's creative, it is never going to satisfy you. It's all, you're always going to be uncomfortable. Hmm. And so we see that hmm. in the church today. People are just uncomfortable in the wow. decisions that they're making and the things that they're doing. And it's in all people. We see it in all people. That's why I loved how Solomon, 
later on he says, what do, later on in that chapter, right after, the, after that beautiful poem, mm-hmm. he says, what do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on all of us, yet God has made everything beautiful in his own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning and, and to end. And so why I love this, and I, I want Brian to talk about this whole thing, because we're talking about God is sovereign. And in God's time and in his way, he makes all things beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of sovereignty of God. And I don't know that in our existential culture, even in the church, we understand how important the sovereignty of God is. Yeah, it, providentially, and, and again, something Jeff and I were talking about this week, you, you know that Romans 8 passage about um, all things working together. Well, in Greek, the word is synegro. And the way I explain it to people is I, th- I say, think of all these different rivers coming from a mountain. And we look at them independently, go, well, they're, they're, they're not connected. But then they flow down the mountain and they get into a river. And you go, oh, okay, I see how these waterways flow into something. But then it's not finished. Then this river connects to another river and connects to another river. And then it ultimately pours out into this big, broad ocean. Mm-hmm. And so... Though it's just analogy of, and like all analogies, they, they will fall short in some right. areas. But same concept. All these little things in a believer's life and in life that we're seeing, are they, they're disjointed, they're disconnected, what's going on? Mm-hmm. God sees the big picture. And he sees them flowing together first into the river. Mm-hmm. And then it's joining into these other things. And then ultimately, they're going into this big, beautiful ocean. And the Lord goes, I see the full picture. You, you only saw this little stream, this little, this little, you know, turbulent stream in your life. But I saw everything else, and I'm watching it flow. So it's interesting. Jeff and I both, some of our favorite verses in the whole Bible is Romans 8. And so it, 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 it's such a beautiful concept. And that is God providentially working all these things together and in his sovereignty, just directing them mm. as, he, nice. as he sees. And it's towards goodness and beauty and love and truth it's all amazing yeah i'd like to read a quote by one of our favorite guys well maybe mine i think he's yours too norman geisler oh yeah okay so norman geisler in his book chosen but free wrote this a god who's before all things beyond all things creates all things upholds all things knows all things and can do all things is also in control of all things. (laughs) (laughs) This complete control is called the sovereignty of God. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatever comes to pass. Nothing catches God by surprise. All things come to pass as he ordained them from all eternity. And when you think about that, you know, and, and I love Brian's definition, that word together where we get um, synergy, mm-hmm. you know, when we realize that all of these things are working together for maybe not immediate good, but ultimate good mm-hmm. and eternal good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when we have that kind of assurance of our sovereign creator, we have a peace. We don't have the existential crisis. Crisis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
Well, before we jump on to our next topic, um, I want to see if someone does want to further their study in existentialism from a biblical worldview. I know you referenced Romans 8. Did you have any other points of reference in mind? Well, we've we've both mentioned Norm Geisler. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I studied under Norm, and Jeff, you know, is very indebted to him. I would recommend anyone who wants to study any of these isms, any of these people we've thrown out, to really pick up Norman Geisler's History of Philosophy. Now, it is a two-volume, okay. and they could get into Kierkegaard. They could get into Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre and all these things. But, again, the book's not just relegated to existentialism, but it really is looking at the history of, of thought and trying to provide a biblical grounding. So I would recommend Norm Geisler. And, and quite frankly, I would recommend Norm Geisler's um, book, having fun under the sun, which is a study of Ecclesiastes. And he touches on some of the, the points we're touching on, N- not in the same manner we are, but mm-hmm. a lot of the same, you know, uh, undercurrents are found there as well. So I'm glad you asked about some resources. Yes, because, I mean, I may or may not be in an existential cr- no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, gentlemen, you've given us some great food for thought, and it kind of leads well into our next topic, which is also pretty controversial, especially for us here in the Western world, because we live and breathe it, capitalism. <laughs> mm-hmm. Before we jump in to define what it is, let me read for us the text that Solomon states concerning the concept in Ecclesiastes. He says, It is better to be a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. He might even become king, though he has been in prison. But then everyone rushes to the side yet of another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him, but then another generation grows up and rejects him too. So it's all meaningless, like chasing the wind. That's Ecclesiastes 4, verses 13 through 16. Jeff, can you tell us what this text is going on about? What's the modern take here? Well, I think the, the greatest way to illustrate it is every single person in America loves a good rags-to-riches story, mm-hmm. right? We, we love them. Everything that we watch on TV or in movies is something that this, this theme goes through. And I, I don't know whose life this searcher or Solomon saw on the big screen, but he had many to choose from. I mean, he could have chose Joseph or Pharaoh or Saul or David and probably many others. Those who look for satisfaction in this type of story um, almost always end their lives in tears of delusionment. Hmm. And that's kind of what the searcher is saying here, or Solomon is saying here. It's like, it is better to be poor and wise without influence than to have powerful power and influence. Why? Because power, popularity, and prosperity all end, are all, are all transitory, hmm. and and so this you know Solomon is coming to this place. It's like chasing after the wind. I don't know if you've ever chased after the wind. No, usually it's chasing me. Yeah, <laughs> and, do you, and you know it may catch you, it but does. you cannot catch it. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> How I'm invi- I'm visualizing that, and it's just completely absurd. So it's I mean, thank you, Solomon, for the visual and yes. for the interpretation, Jeff. Um, Brian, can you tell us about capitalism as a system of thought? Yes, um, it, I'll go back to really the two, for the most part, modern architects. You have David Hume, who happened to also be anti-God. He was an anti-theist, and then you had Adam Smith. They were the 
the British, well, Hume was Scottish, but they were the British guys that kind of helped develop our modern understanding mm-hmm. of capitalism. And so Adam Smith, he, he would focus on the self-interests of, you know, a person or, or, or corporation and the role of specialization, whatever industry you're part of, to efficiently get money. That's it in a, in a nutshell. So, so my self-interest as a.k.a. businessman or the company I represent and the specialization of what I'm trying to get money at and how am I going to efficiently do my specialization to make a profit. Okay. Th- that, that's it in, in a nutshell. Um, obviously, the idea of capitalism has expanded since okay. um, Adam Smith and David Hume were some of the, f- the first guys to help really develop in a modern context. But so it, it's moved on to, you know, individuals or businesses or corporations who own and control property and goods in according with their interests or what their specialization is. And then the supply and demand, mm-hmm. how much of that product there is and the demand for that project. And then we're going to set the prices in accordance with the supply and demand so we could serve the best interests of first the shareholders and then hopefully the the people who you serve, your employees and, and other people. Mm-hmm. But at its heart, it, it really goes back to, you know, Adam Smith's point of how are we going to make a profit and how, how are we going to be efficient in making a profit for our particular specialization. Interest, yeah. But this goes back... You know, even before the modern incantation, um, at the end of the the Middle Ages, with with the rise of the what we'd call the modern era, and, and the Renaissance was kind of that bridge between the Middle Ages to the rise of the modern era, and with the the the, the decline of the Middle Ages and the papacy and other things, nation states started to rise, and nation states also came with people who knew how to make money. And so the Medici family in Italy were bankers and they started to help, if you will, set the stage for what would later turn into become capitalism. And then of course it was the British who really helped formulate it. And then us Americans who have, I guess, perfected it and maybe (laughs) abused it. (laughs) Oh man. It's, I mean, you're talking, and I'm like, well, it sounds fine the way that the way that you're stating it, Brian, with with such a calm attitude. It's so different from so many of the the things and speeches that I've been hearing lately. But Jeff, I'm wondering if, as you know, you you said at the beginning of this whole series, you know, you were a successful businessman. You were all in that world. Um, can you tell us what you've seen as some of the pros and cons? Yeah. <laughs> I'm scared to ask this question. <laughs> <laughs> well. Sad to say, and I, I hope I don't lose any listeners by stating this, but I think I came out of my mother's womb a capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> I've always had a propensity to making profit, as Brian was explaining. And, um, you know, I dropped out of college knowing uh, knowing that I could make money without doing things. And I'm not saying that people should do that. And so, and it's still part of my character. And so these are things that I wrestle with often. And... Um, and I think we live in a capitalistic, capitalistic society, and for that I'm very thankful because look, look what capitalism has done for us. We arguably are the wealthiest nation on the planet. 
Um, everybody, I travel a lot and every nation I go to, people want to come and live here. And so from a positive standpoint, because of capitalism, we've, we've had this type of thing happening. And so, um, from a negative standpoint is capitalism breeds selfishness. <sighs> and I have to say before knowing Christ, I was a very selfish person. Mm -hmm. Um, my, my business, I ran a sales organization and on my desk, I simply had a sign that said, do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and we did, and we were very successful at it, but man, the, the, the consequences of that were, were not good, yeah. you know, for emotion and for spiritual health, you know, um, after becoming a Christian, um, we, we basically took our company and turned it over and gave it to God. And I have to say from 1995 to 2005, when I finally, um, uh, well, I gave the company away. That's a whole nother story we'll <laughs> do for another time. But okay. for those years, were the maybe the best years of my life. Mm. My partner and I were both Christians. Mm -hmm. He actually sat on the board at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, mm -hmm. and we determined to do whatever we do the way that G we thought Jesus would do it. So our sales meetings were based on Scripture, right. being a servant of all. I mean, it was crazy things we were doing, and, and it was funny because what happened was our non-believing salespeople became believers. Many of our customers became believers. Right. And this is why we learned that, yeah, we still were turning a profit, mm -hmm. you know, to be um, a shrewd and a good steward of the money that God has given us. We figured we need to be a good steward of that money, mm -hmm. but it's what we did with that money mm -hmm. yeah. that made all the difference. Yeah. I went from using all of the money that I made before becoming a Christian for partying and having a good time mm -hmm. to, okay, how can we use this money to, to help? Yes. And it wow. changed everything. And so this is kind of where I think that business people that come to that conclusion and have that, that kind of heart, they are starting to experience great joy. Mm -hmm. The problem is there's not a lot of them out there. Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. and sadly, in our modern world, and, and found in the church as mm -hmm. well, yeah. sadly, is that money becomes the end result. It's not changed life, it's not transformed lives in some sectors, it's, it's how much money I get, and that's a sign that God's blessing you. Wow. And just wow. to underscore something that Jeff said, and I think it sums up, but the American playwright who won the Pulitzer Prize three times, but we most know him for the play Our Town, which is a famous American play. He wrote, money is like manure. It's not worth a thing, unless you spread it around encouraging young things to grow. <laughs> and, and, and that, that, <laughs> that is really, the Bible's not against money or making money. It's, it's neutral. And it's exactly as Jeff said, it's mm -hmm. what we do with it. Yeah. If it's just to accumulate and become very self-interest, then it becomes a problem. Yeah. But if it's for the common good, like we talked about in an earlier podcast, if we're using it, to build up ministries here, to help a homeless shelter, battered women, your environment, or whatever whatever those things are, if you're using it for the common good, then it is great. It's like manure. If it just piles up, it stinks. Right. But if you spread it around, it helps things grow. That is that is so good. I, I really love it because that really just paints that picture of finding the balance. You know, you don't have to just throw these things out and like we've been saying, hide your head in the sand and just do nothing. Yes. Um, you can use these things, these systems of thought for, for the good. Mm -hmm.
and I'm, I'm so bummed that we're like out of time, <laughs> just straight up. Just fly by. Oh, I just want to talk Wait, more about this. We're just getting started. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day, gentlemen, thank you so much. You've given us a lot to think about here. So thank you for sharing your expertise and your insights. Um, and to the listener, I'll say make sure to join us on our next episode. We are taking a look at the mysteriously titled Religionism and Humanism. So on behalf of Pastor Jeff and Professor Brian, thanks for joining us. And real quick, for more information on this podcast or any Calvary Global Network events, you can visit Pastor Jeff's website at jeffegeip.com. I'm Celeste, and thanks for listening. The gospel is the hope of the world, and the world needs more gospel-centered churches. That's why Cultivate by CGN exists. I'm Clay Worrell, Executive Director of CGN, and I'm here with my friend, Pastor Nick Cady. We want to take a moment to let you know about the Cultivate Church Planter Training Program. Cultivate has created the infrastructure to support the planting of 1,000 new churches in the next decades, starting in 2023. We follow in the footsteps of renowned church planters in the Calvary Chapel movement, embracing and adopting their rich heritage of church planting in order to transmit our values, theology, and philosophy of ministry to this generation and for those to come. You know, as church planters ourselves, we understand that planting a church is not an easy task, but we believe it's an essential one. That's why we've created a range of resources to help you and your team prepare for the journey ahead. Our resources are personal, practical, and pastoral. Our program is from six to 24 months and is designed to equip you to lead a gospel-centered community wherever God has called you around the world. We also have a global team of mentors and coaches with thousands of hours of experience planting and pastoring churches, and they're ready to support you in the training phase, the launch phase, and in the post-launch phase of planting a church. With our guidance and support, you can feel confident in your ability to engage the world for Christ. Are you ready to answer the call of church planting? Together we can make a difference and bring the hope of the gospel to communities around the world. If you're ready to take the next steps and learn more about our church planting program, we invite you to visit our website at cultivatechurchplanting.com.